Good morning. Shalom. Sorry for the delay there. Baruch Hashem. A few minutes behind our, or a couple minutes anyway, whatever, behind our normal time. So I apologize for that. It is the uh, first day of Av. We are beginning the nine days. This is a time of uh, mourning for the temple and a time to... Uh, <clears throat> With God's help, rid ourselves of baseless hatred and Lashon Hara. And so, uh, yeah, here we are. Baruch Hashem. Hope you're doing well this morning. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, and yes, if you're wondering, yes, I am. I'm having a good, good day. I'm having a good day because everything that has happened in my life has been predicted. It is all working out as I have foreseen it, to quote the emperor. Um, I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek with that, by the way. I have a dry sense of humor. Everything I say, <laughs> sometimes what I say, uh, you know, it's meant to be humorous. But anyway, glad you're here. We are going to be in Parashah uh, Bami Bar. Yes, Selya, it is prep day. Baruch Hashem. The Shabbat is forthcoming. Now, as I get underway here, I just want to say something. I put this out on, uh, on I think, Ask the Rabbi. Um, by the way, if you are a member of our congregation or Lapid Judaism and I am your rabbi, okay, if that's how you perceive me, and if that is how you perceive me, then it's a great honor to the Rabbah. And you are not on the Ask the Rabbi page, which is a closed group page. Uh, send me a message, and I will add you. Uh, but it's only open, and I, I just want to be clear: it's only open for people who consider me their rabbi, because I don't want to be making—I uh, don't want to be answering questions, particularly halachic questions. And then you have another rabbi or whatever, and uh, this—that would not be appropriate. And so, I just want to throw that out there because. You may not be on the Esther Rabbi page, you may not even know about it, but you're always here on the Aliyah, you're always listening, you're always watching, maybe, maybe you even attend the shul because you live locally, and for whatever reason, you just weren't aware about it, and, and inadvertently you got left off. And so I don't want to leave you off if I'm your rabbi. So, But if I'm not your rabbi, that's fine too. Um, I, it's just not, that's not the best place, uh, and I hope you understand. Uh, but anyway, I put on there what I'm about to say here, because there's been... A little bit of confusion. So with the nine days uh, beginning, some of our morning uh, intensifies. And one of the things, uh, thank you, Elfra. Uh, one of the things that we say is that uh, we do not have meat or wine during the nine days. Now it's halakhically technically limited to wine, but I would suggest maybe other alcoholic beverages as well. But that's just me. Um... But some people have asked, does, what does that mean about the Shabbat? And so I just want to reiterate that on the Shabbat, we do not, um, we do not uh, ever mourn or fast unless it's Yom Kippur. So therefore, for Arab Shabbat and for Shabbat, you can have both meat and wine. But we don't have it during the regular days. All right. Somebody's asked me, Ari asking me, this is good. Uh, Ari asking me about uh, how do we wash our hair or what have you. So during this time, during these nine days, 
it's kind of a sponge bath situation unless of course you are washing for sanitation purposes or maybe you have an outside job and you come back and you're very very you're sweaty all over or whatever then you can you can hop into the shower and rinse off or you can even uh, dip into the pool and rinse off if that's the case uh, but otherwise during these nine days it should be a sponge bath we're not supposed to wear um, freshly laundered clothes but that does not apply to your underclothing so just want to make those things clear hopefully that'll help people if you have any specific questions beyond that you can post them to ask the rabbi and with God's help I will uh, I will get that uh, to you Baruch Hashem and I want to give a shout out by the way to, to Leda Mendez because Leda um, is like our unofficial official translator here at Sar Shalom Lapid Judaism and she has translated so many things for us in Espanol. Espanol is not my first language. I do speak a little bit, and with God's help, I'll get better and better. But she sent us something this week, and I haven't uh, really uh, posted it. I was going to get with our, our video crew here. But she sent us a video of the Shabbat, the first uh, festival teaching that I did. And she has put the Spanish subtitles to it. So she's like a ninja. So I, wanna, I want to give a shout out to Leda, and uh, God bless you, Leda. Thank you so much for all you do, and I very, 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 did I say very much, want to be able to minister to our Sephardic friends. So may Hashem help me to improve my Spanish, and may He help us to continue to have these types of things offered in Spanish. So Leda, you're a ninja, you're ridiculous, and uh, I'm going to ask you to go to your room. After the Aliyah day. All right, Baruch Hashem. All right, let's look at the sixth Aliyah. And uh, we'll get into sixth and seventh Aliyah of Matot. And uh, we will get into some insights here, Baruch Hashem. Such an such a op, op, awesome opportunity to be with you today, Baruch Hashem. So it says, The children of Reuben and the children of Gad had abundant livestock. Very great. Very great abundant livestock. They saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So they look at the land and say, this is great. This is like the uh, pasture lands of, uh, of uh, Texas or whatever, North Dakota. We want to raise our uh, livestock here. So the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and said to Moshe, to Eliezer, the Cohen, and to the leaders of the assembly, saying, Ataroth, and Dibon, and Jezer, and Nimrah, and Heshbon, and Eliale, and Sebam, and Nabo, and Baon, the land that Adonai smote before the assembly of Israel. It is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as a heritage, do not bring us across the Jordan. So Moshe said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brothers go out to battle while you settle here? He's getting upset. He's like, look, we're about to go and conquer the land. And here you are wanting to just uh, take a deferred enlistment. Why do you dissuade the heart of the children of Israel from crossing the Jordan that Adonai has given them? Now he's taking a task on another thing. By you staying here and not crossing the Jordan with us, you want this land and not that land. You're doing the same thing the spies did. And uh, Moses despises that. 
So it says, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to, this, to see the land. They went up to the valley of Eshkel and saw the land, and they dissuaded the heart of the children of Israel not to come to the land that Adonai had given them. The wrath of Adonai burned on that day, and he swore, saying, If these men who came up from Egypt from the age of 20 years and above will see the ground that I swore to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, for they have not followed me fully except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and the Kezanite, uh, and Yehoshua, son of Nun, for they followed Hashem fully. The wrath of Adonai burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the end of the entire generation that did evil in the eyes of Adonai. Behold, you have risen up in place of your fathers, a society of sinful people, to add more to the burning wrath of Adonai against Israel. For if you will turn away from, from after them, he will again let it rest in the wilderness, and you will destroy this entire people. So, uh, Moses makes a, a bit of a mistake here. And he does something that we as human beings often do. Um, I, I go back to something, just not to get off on this, but... Uh, you know, there's an idea that the Mashiach is supposed to be an, an idea in Judaism and a, an idea, un, unfortunately, that has become more popular among certain messianics or pseudo-messianics or whatever. The Mashiach is just a human. And uh, the problem with that is that what better human being was there than Moses? In terms of humanity, in terms of, of a human being, what better human was Moses. If you take the life of Yeshua, for instance, now follow me here, I don't want to be misquoted. You take the life of Yeshua and you compare what he did as a human being. Let's just take, let's assume he's a human being, right? Not divine in any way. And you compare what he did in his life compared to what Moshe did. I mean, really, is it's, it, would, it would seem rather obvious that Moses did more. I mean, he, you know, went up to the mountain, walked into Shemayim, brought down the Torah. I mean, really, I mean, all the plagues, all the miracles, all the 40 years. So if a human is going to save us, then Moses couldn't save us. Then who's going to come and who's going to, who's going to do better? You know, I mean, uh, who's going to come in and, 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 and pitch better than Moses? Who's going to come in and, uh, Who's going to come in and be better than Tom Brady and the Patriots? You know, the question when football season starts is, who are the Patriots going to play in the Super Bowl? I mean, really, that's the question. Someone said that the Super Bowl is nothing more than the last game of the Patriots season. I mean, who's going to come in and do better than Tom Brady? Who's going to come in and do better than Moses? And so Moses makes a mistake here, and that's the problem. Humans are fallible. That's the challenge. There's lots of other challenges to that whole thing about the Messiah just being a human being, but we'll table that for a second or for this time. And here he jumps to all kinds of conclusions, and, and he does so because he's got a history. But he doesn't give these people the chance to explain themselves, and very often we do that in our conversations with people. We jump to conclusions we answer for them. We assume they're saying one thing and when they're not saying. And so this is why the sages teach that a wise person keeps his mouth shut. A wise person listens. 
as uh, somebody once said in a, in a business standpoint, if you're the manager of a team and you're having a team meeting and you've got, let's say, four or five people on your team and you're trying to come up with an idea over, over how to overcome a problem or, or how, to do, how to do whatever, you're, you're meeting for whatever reason, it's a good practice to let everybody in the room share their thoughts and then you speak as the leader. There's reasons for that beyond just not uh, making this mistake, but anyway, we, don't, we won't get off into that. But So here he makes a mistake. He, he, just, he starts prejudging. He, he, he thinks they're cowards. He thinks they don't really want the land. That's not it at all. And so it says in verse 16, they approached him and said, pens for the flock shall we build here for our livestock and our cities for our small children. And we shall arm ourselves swiftly in the vanguard of the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our small children will dwell in the fortified cities before the inhabitants of the land. In other words, hey, listen, we're not cowards. In fact, we're going to be the Marine Corps. We're going to be the ones that are going to go first. We're going to arm ourselves and we're going to take the lead. We're going to be the vanguard. So not only are we not cowards, we're actually going to be the leaders in battle. We're going to be the spearhead of the whole army. And so it was, in a lot of ways, you could read this story and you can say, well, man, Moses kind of was prejudging them. Uh, unfortunately. So we shall not return to our homes until our children... Uh, uh, of it, the children of Israel, rather, will have inherited. Every man is inheritance. In other words, so so beyond the fact that we're going to be the vanguard now, we're saying that we are going to, uh, we're not even going to return to our place until everybody else is settled. It says, for we shall not inherit with them across the Jordan and beyond, for our inheritance has come to us on the east bank of the Jordan. Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourself before Adonai for the battle, and every man among you shall cross the Jordan before Adonai until he drives out his enemies before him, and the land shall be conquered before Adonai, and then you shall return, then you shall be vindicated from Adonai and from Israel, and this land shall be a heritage for you before Adonai. But if you do not do so, behold, you will have sinned to Adonai, know that your sin that will encounter you be build for yourself cities for your small children and pens for your flocks and what has come from your mouth shall you do the children of gad and the children of reuben said to moshe saying your children shall do as my lord commands our small children our wives our livestock all of our animals will be there in the cities of gilead and your servants shall cross over every armed person for the legion before tonight to do battle as the lord speaks Concerning them, Moses commanded Eleazar the Cohen, Yehoshua son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And Moshe said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben will cross the Jordan with you, every one armed for battle before Adonai, and the land is conquered before you, you shall give them the land Gilead as heritage. But if they do not cross over or arm with you, then they will take their heritage among you in the land of Canaan. Verse 31. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke up, saying, As Adonai has spoken to your servants, so shall we do. We shall cross over, armed before Adonai, to the land of Canaan, and ours and our shall be a heritage of our inheritance across the Jordan. So Moses gave to them, to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king 
of the Amorites and the kingdom of Og, king of the Bashan, the land with its cities and its boundaries and the cities of the surrounding land. The children of Gad built Dibon and Ataroth and Aroer, and Atroth Shofan and Jazir and Jogbeha and Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fortified cities and pens for the flock. The children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eli, uh, Eliel and Kirathe and Nebo and Balmeon with altered names and Simram and they called them by other names instead of the names of the cities that they built. The children of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and captured it, drove out the Amorites that were in it, and Moses gave Gilead to Machir, son of Manasseh, and they settled there. Manasseh, and they settled there. Jer, son of Manasseh, went and captured the villages and called them Havoth Jair. Nabal went and captured Canaan and her suburbs and called it Noba after his name. Into the sixth and seventh, sixth and seventh reading of Matot, for time's sake, we'll let you read uh, Manasseh on your own, if you, uh, if you please. Let me grab this uh, insight here. Well, I see a flagged insight. Hold on, one second. Sorry, pardon my reach here. Make sure that I don't leave anything on the proverbial table. Ah, yes. Here we go. I wanted to share this yesterday, and we did not get to it from the Gutnik Humash. It says, um, we need to fight a, a war, but the war that we need to fight is a war of peace. And as, as, as it would seem so ironic, a lot of times to establish peace, we have to fight. We have to fight for peace. We have to fight for your right to be peaceful. And everything in life, by the way, wants to disturb your peace. It's just amazing. It's amazing to me how many people waste their time with makhlokit, with, with hateful arguments and hateful stuff, and stir people. And all for what? For what? What good does it do? What good does it do? It doesn't change anything. Uh, you know, I, I put a post out there this morning just about this stuff that's being said about me and my wife. All right, what good does it do? It's not going to stop me. Does it stop this video? No. Is it going to stop our service tomorrow? No. Is it going to stop that service from being broadcast to, to hundreds of homes across the world? No. Is it going to shut down our YouTube page? No. Facebook page? No. It's going to stop me from doing what I do. It's going to stop us from having uh, families come in and brisses and no. It's not going to do a thing. Is it going to change my kitchen from a kosher kitchen to a non-kosher kitchen? Nope. All it did was create stress for somebody else. So anyway, although the Jewish people won numerous victories in other wars they waged, they always suffered some casualties. This goes back to the fact that there was no casualties in this war against Midian. In the war against Midian, however, all the Jewish soldiers returned safely, and the officers declared in, 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 in astonishment, not one man is missing from us. So the insight here says, from the victory of the physical battle against Midian, we can learn a lesson about the ongoing spiritual battle against Midian. What does Midian represent? So Amalek represents, Amalek represents doubt. Midian represents uh, discord, division. Right? 
So eradicating conflicts and bringing love and unity between Jews, that's what, that's what the war is. The war is to eradicate conflict and bring love and unity between Jews. It says, when a person embarks on such a war, he is given the assurance that he will return whole in body, soul, and even financially, he'll be blessed, and he will declare not one man is missing from us. So the, the promise we have, basically, is what it's saying here, is that when we fight for shalom, when we pursue shalom, then we were, are guaranteed that we're not going to be missing anybody, that we're not going to be missing anything financially even. And it says, and surely with this in mind, he will carry out his mission with joy and gladness, knowing that with the proper dedication, he is assured of success. With the proper dedication, he is assured of success. So we have to fight for shalom. And, and uh, a lot of times, you know, we, it, it requires, uh, the point being is it requires effort. It requires effort, but the effort is is not without reward. And we have to understand the great value. And we want to be sons of Aaron. The Torah teaches us to be sons of Aaron. And what was Aaron known for? What was his, his best quality for which he was known? And the best quality for which he was known was that he was one who sought peace and looked for peace and uh, desperately wanted uh, to have peace, and he worked hard for that. So, um, just again, I'm going to kind of go through a few comments here, just as fast as I can, and in the, in the time we have remaining, things that just we didn't get a chance to get to. This is all from Rabbi Monk because we we just haven't got been able to get to a lot of things he said that were so good. Baba Kama 38a in the Talmud asked the question that since Moab was involved in the treachery with, along with Midian, why are we not fighting against Moab? Why did we only fight against Midian? What was, why didn't we go and destroy Moab? And the, the Talmud brings down that it's precisely because there was a pure dove in Moab named Ruth. And we did not want to destroy Moab so as not to destroy the pure dove that would come out of her. So a lot of times we might look at, at various false religions and, and false theologies, and we may be frustrated by them. But we have to always remember Ruth, because Ruth came from Moab, what at the time was considered perhaps the most vile of all nations. And yet would come this convert who would become a Jewess and would uh, eventually give birth to, uh, you know, eventually to David from her line. And David, of course, would give birth, so to speak, to the Mashiach. Interesting comment here. You know, remember that Yeshua said that a prophet is not respected in his own house. At the time of Yeshua, even his brothers didn't believe in him. It says here, Abraham excelled in making converts, but he did not fully succeed with his nephew who incestuously fathered two children by his daughters, and these were Amnon, uh, Ammon, excuse me, and Moab. Just an interesting comment, I want to point that out, because first of all, it, it's another confirmation, yet again, we've had dozens of them through the years, that Abraham and Sarah sought converts. 
as it says here, Abraham excelled at making converts. That was his number one mission in life. It's what he did. He was in business. It was uh, Abraham and Sarah had a shop, and their shop was converts or us. And uh, they sought converts. And that is, my friends, the, the motivation of Lapid Judaism, at the core of Lapid Judaism, at the core of Sar Shlom, at the core of yours truly, is the desire to see people come into covenant, a desire to see people uh, adopt the very faith of Messiah and the apostles. I want to see every home. I'm seeking the nations. That's, that's, that's where I am. That's, that's my heart. It's always been my heart. To seek the nations, to see that every single home should have candles in them on Arab Shabbat. Every single man should wrap feeling. That every single family should be living a kosher, shomer uh, 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 existence. I want to be like Abraham and Sarah. That's, that's my goal. People say, who's your target market? And, and the answer to that is humans. I'm generally after humans. Although I'm not opposed to dogs and cats. I... Not that I can convert them, but I do love them. Sometimes birds. But generally, I'm after humans. That's, that's, amen. So if you're a human, you qualify. So it says, um, you shall, there's another comment here. It says, you shall keep alive for yourself. Talking about the women that you, you bring that they, they were captured, the Midianite women that were captured in battle. This goes back to chapter 31 and verse 18. Rabbi Buck brings down something that says, Lachem, for yourselves. This implies, it says, that these women in, embraced Judaism for you. So I just want to point out that sometimes when you have a Jewish mother who has 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 a Jewish mother, a Jewish mother very often that mother goes all the way back to Midian. Just, just something to think about. Just a, a, a point of reference. Uh, I want to go over here. There was a, a comment. Uh, yes, here we go. Going to, to chapter 35. Command the children of Israel that they shall give to the Levites. Just a, just a comment here that says, The Levites did not share in the original distribution of the land and its booty because they were kept apart to serve Adonai and to teach his ways and the precepts of the people or precepts to the people I should say so they were Torah teachers as it says in Deuteronomy 33.10 the Levites will teach your laws to Jacob and your doctrine to Israel that's from yeah Deuteronomy 33.10 so the reason I want to bring that out is because some people have it in their minds that the Levites were only involved in temple service um, and I just wanted to mention that the Levites, and of course this would include the Kohanim as well, because the Kohanim are, are Levites as well, that their principal job was to teach Torah to the, the Jewish community at large. And therefore they were in every city, in every town, every village, not just in Eretz Israel, but all over the world, to do what? To teach Torah. And I love the next comment here. This, is, this comes from Hilchos Shemitah. Ve'yovel 12. It says, Any person who takes upon himself a spiritual commitment and resolve to keep apart in order to serve Hashem can reach a level of sanctity similar to that of the Levites of old. I shared a similar thought in a couple of Aliyahs ago. 
that basically what this is saying is if you're in full-time ministry, you're a, you're a rabbi, you're a hazan, a gabai, that's what you do principally. And maybe you're not, maybe that's not your full-time occupation, but it's your main thing that you do. What you do to earn a living is just to support you being able to do that. That you become, in effect, like a Levite. And so that's a very real thing. And so uh, it just goes back to this reality. I just want to point that out to you. That, um, there's a way to become... Listen, Judaism has never been limited to bloodline. Ever been limited to bloodline. You say, are you really Jewish? Is your mother Jewish? Can you prove that? It's never been limited to that. Just like Yochanan the Immerser said, God can take these stones over here and turn them to the sons of Abraham. What are you talking about? Didn't he create Abraham from nothing? I mean, think about it. Abraham wasn't Jewish. Could Abraham produce a ketubah to prove he was Jewish? But today, people would call Abraham a fake Jew. Because he didn't go... Did he go through proper conversion, by the way? I'm just asking. Did he stand before the base dean? Nope. Why? Because there wasn't a base dean. Just something that make you go, hmm, think about it. That's why I love teaching logic. All right. One final uh, insight here. Talking about the cities of refuge. Okay. It says, in addition to them, shall you give them, uh, give uh, 42 cities and there should be six cities of refuge. So it says the six cities of refuge are allegory for the six constant mitzvot that we are not to forget, even for a moment. One, to believe in Adonai. Two, to deny the existence of any foreign god. Three, to proclaim Hashem's unity. Four, to love Him. Five, to fear Him. And six, to be led astray by the thoughts of your hearts and the signs of your sight of your eyes. These six mitzvot are, as it were, our spiritual refuge. Now, Cephas Edmonds associates the six cities of refuge with the six words of the first verse of the Shema. And then he says the 42 additional cities correspond to the 42 words found in the passage, the first paragraph of the Shema, Ve'ahavta. Therefore, when we say the Shema, we enter into a city of refuge. We enter into the six cities, and not, not just the cities of refuge, but we also enter into the Levitical cities, so to speak. The cities of refuge, as it says here, were a reflection of God's divine mercy. And finally, one other thought here. This is just an interesting thought. It says, a murderer who takes life unintentionally shall flee there. It says the Midrash imp explains that Moses was concerned about about how the fugitive would be able to find his way to the nearest city of refuge. It says, Adonai replied that the people should make suitable directional signs for this purpose. This comes from Devari Merbah to Deuteronomy 19.3. As a consequence of this, Ramban and Hilakot Rodzeach 1.5 teaches that to facilitate access for the fugitive, the road must be free of piles of stone and hills, and must not be blocked by unbridged rivers that would impede his progress. Furthermore, the road's width must exceed 32 cubits on the, 
on the signs located at crossroads must be and, and the signs located at crossroads must be clearly written city of refuge. So it says, it was not war which gave the impetus impediment or or impetus, excuse me, I'm sorry, the impetus for road construction in Israel, as was the common practice in in, in antiquity. It was justice and the maintenance of peace. I just thought that was an interesting insight, isn't it? That the reason there were such good roads in Israel with good signage in antiquities was not to facilitate the army moving to and fro, but it was to facilitate peace and mercy and justice. My friends, that's why we need to be building our paths and making our signs spiritually it's not to start a fight it's not to start a war but it's to facilitate peace shalom justice and god willing the coming of the messiah end of our aliyah today may you have a blessed and wonderful shabbat shabbat shalom to you and uh, we'll see everybody tomorrow in shul and so if you can be there physically outstanding if you can only be there in spirit, on live stream or what have you, that is also outstanding. We would love to see everybody with us, to join us, and to have a day of fun and Torah learning and shalom. We will see you there. Shalom and blessing. Be sure and like this video and please, please, please share it everywhere and often. Shalom and blessings.